be looking at. If you haven't figured it out yet, today is the annual Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, I believe for at least 25 and possibly 26 years, each year at this time, I preach a sermon specifically dealing with some aspect of the whole concept of the value of human life. If you haven't been here before, you know that there are at least three issues that I believe as Christians we not only need to know about for ourselves and practice ourselves, but we need to take a stand in the public square. The first one is for marriage, because without marriage, without a biblical concept of marriage, we do not have a fabric, a core for society. Society is a mess without that. I believe we also need to take a stand for creation, because if God didn't create us, then we don't answer to Him. If He did create us, we have someone who holds us accountable for our actions, and we need to stand up for that also. And the third issue is the one we're going to look at this morning, and that is the concept of the sanctity of human life. Let's face it. If human life is not valuable, every other thing we talk about from the pulpit, in teaching, from the Bible, really doesn't matter. Because if humans aren't valuable, life isn't sacred, who cares? That's the one today. I believe that we need to have a consistent biblical ethic of the beginning of life. In case you have not looked at the news lately, or you haven't opened your ears, or you haven't talked to anyone, this whole concept is in the news consistently. Whether it's the whole idea that uh, it's mandated in Obamacare that the morning after pill and contraceptives are uh, offered as a part of all health care plans, and that's a controversy, we'll talk about it at the very end of the sermon, uh, or, if you have been listening and watching the news, you will find out that in Texas, and it's not unusual for Texas to make news, but in Texas something very unique is grabbing the spotlight. You may or may not be familiar, you will be after the uh, next few moments here, but there is a lady in Texas, uh, she was pregnant, she was seven weeks pregnant, she, whatever, for whatever reason, got a brain, brain clot blood clot in her brain, uh, passed out on the kitchen floor. Her family found her. Uh, she was seven weeks pregnant. Uh, indeed, by the time it was over, she was declared brain dead. And for all practical purposes, that means that she had ceased living. But in Texas, they have a rule. They have a law. The law in Texas says that they will not discontinue life um, saving apparatus if the lady is pregnant. At this point, she, it is uh, 14 weeks um, later. She is now 21 weeks pregnant. The baby's heart is beating strong. She has been brain dead for uh, seven weeks now. And they're continuing. The husband, and I don't know anything about him, he is insisting that the hospital take off the life support apparatus. Uh, he is threatening to sue and all those kinds of things. And the hospital says, nope, 
The law in Texas says we will protect the life of that baby. Now, I'll tell you what. You want to find somebody, find a fight, find an argument? I'll bring this one up in conversation somewhere. The truth of the matter is, I believe after today, you might have a viewpoint. I don't know. It might be consistent with mine. I think it might be. But the point is that in another three weeks, they will most likely be able to deliver this baby by C-section. By the way, Megan, how old was Ben when he was born? 26 weeks. Okay. Uh, Our grandson was only 26 weeks when he was born. This would just be two weeks before that. It's a lawsuit. A husband saying, I want my wife off of that, knowing that his baby still has a beating heart inside of his wife's womb. It's his baby. And he says, pull the plug. We know exactly what's going to happen. There'll be two casualties in that case, the wife who was already dead and the baby. Can you jump to a conclusion? Should you have a conclusion? Should you have an idea of how you think about that? What would you say if somebody asked you, is that right? Is it wrong? By the way, some states have a rule, just like Texas. Others say absolutely nothing. I think it's like 17 states don't say anything and others have some other rules in there. But We need to, if we're going to deal with these kinds of things that are brought about by the technology we have of today. One of the things that I have said over and over again, and I think I'll probably say it the rest of my career as a pastor, is we as Christians have not come to grips with technology, with our morals and our ethics and our biblical principles. And we're kind of behind the eight ball all the time. Maybe today I can help you to be able to think. My real goal here is to give you information and help you to think. I will give you opinions. I believe my opinions are right or I wouldn't give them. If, I, if I'm not sure of something, you know. I'll just say this is what I'm thinking. I'm not sure. In most cases this morning, I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure where I'm coming from. Why? Because I'm smart? No. Because I believe the Bible? Yes. Because I've done a lot of homework and You don't need to know this, but I had 44 pages of notes before I started this. And by the way, I will get you home by on time. So uh, I have cut it down greatly. The fact is, uh, much to my my wife, my my son John and I spent two hours talking about this subject on Wednesday night. Megan, sorry about that, but uh, it was midnight. It was after midnight when he came home because we sat there for two hours and talked about this subject. So. Could we talk another two hours? The answer is, yeah, we're not going to. We're going to break it down. I'm not going to tell you all the details, and I won't give you every little nuance. But I do believe the Bible is very clear on some of these subjects. And um, every time I think, well, I don't know if we have an answer, if you keep digging, the Bible does reveal some very important things. I ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. This will be a kind of the theme verse here. Uh, There's other verses that we will use also. But this one here is very unique among all the verses in the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God is speaking directly to Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, This is not the Psalms, and we're going to look at the the passages in the Psalms. They're the classic ones. But uh, this one here is a little bit different than the Psalms because it is God speaking directly to Jeremiah, and he's talking to him about his plans for him. 
to be a prophet to his people. And we know Jeremiah, obviously, from the book he wrote. And it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And then it goes on to use the personal pronoun over and over and over again uh, in this passage. Jeremiah was being told by God that he knew him intimately, and you'll understand why I use that word in a few moments. But before we do that, one of the things that we need to clarify in our own minds, and if you haven't done this, I'll challenge you, you need to have a definition for what is human. What is a human being? You need to have a definition for that, and you might think, That's a really stupid thing to say from the pulpit that you need a definition for what a human is. We all know that. And I'll tell you what, if I ask you to write it down and to explain it, you'd probably be stumbling over yourself. Because guess what? I'm going to put myself right there. And here's what I'm going to come up with. I'm going to do it very quickly. You can look this up. uh, Check it out for yourself. But a human being is a self-directed, integrated organism. What in the world does that mean? By the way, it also has the inherent potential to express a whole lot more things. But let's back up a second. Because you might say a human being is you and I, and we can talk to each other, we can see, we can move, we can make choices. Uh, So how does that affect, uh, say, an unborn baby? Uh, One-celled embryo. How does it affect someone who is in a very, very bad shape at the end of their life heading toward death? Are they still a human being? We need to answer that. Because if we don't, we can have all kinds of speculation about life. But self-directed simply means this. The organism, human being, is self-directed. Ladies, you know this. Those of you that have had babies, you didn't determine when your child was going to be born. Now, that's at the end of a pregnancy. A child says, I'm coming out, and I don't care what you think. I don't care where you are, and I don't care what kind of snowstorm there is. I'm coming. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how much it hurts. I'm coming out. Okay? Self-directed. Seriously, mom doesn't have anything to do with that. But from the very beginning, this is an organism. A single-celled egg that is self-directed. All the genetic materials that will ever be there are already there. All the determinations of your your hair color and your eye color and your size and your gender and all those things, it's already there. It's already there. Is there great potential? Is there a need for development and growth? The answer is absolutely yes. But it's self-directed. It functions as a unit. And it is inherent in that. The potential of that egg, that fertilized egg, embryo, is not the potential to be anything but a human being. It is indeed a human being, and it's self-directed in that direction. Of course, eventually, with growth and development... It ends up being you and I. And we didn't start out looking like this. And uh, sorry, I've been to a lot of funerals. You don't end up looking like this either. You don't look quite as good at the end. Okay? Things do change as we go. 
The point is, the fertilized egg does not have the potential to become anything other than human being. By the way, that is true of all other embryos of all other living things. They're exactly the same, except they're not human beings. They are some kind of other living being. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, we find that it says that God said, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And you go, that looks like, is that redundant? Well, if you look the words up, you would find out image and likeness. Uh, when, it, when they try to define those two words, they end up using a lot of the same words. Some people have said it's just basically kind of like hammering it down and repeating it so it makes a strong statement that we are in the image and likeness of God. But they are two different words. Um, the concept of image, albeit flawed by sin and by our own actions, is still there. I'll prove that a little bit later in the sermon. But what does it mean to be in the image of God? Obviously, we don't look like God. The Bible's very clear. God is spirit. So if we look like God, I couldn't see you and you couldn't see me. Well, obviously, that's not true. So we have to reject that side of it. But what does it actually mean? If we're in the image of God, it's not limited to what I'm going to say next, but and Each one of these points could be a whole sermon itself, so I'm not going to explain a lot of details. But we have life. We have that self-directed kind of thing. We have personality. We are a personal being. There are only three kinds of personal beings in the world. God, angels, and man. We're personal beings. What does that mean? It means we have the ability to make decisions. We have intellect. We can make decisions, think things through. We have the ability to have emotions or sensibility or desire. Desire can be good or bad. But we have that ability. We also have the ability to act upon it. A will. God has a will. Angels had a will. Theirs is limited compared to ours. But they had that that potential and they used it. And so do we. That makes us a personal being, so that makes us like God. We also have the ability to communicate with one another. We're doing that right now. You're listening, and I'm talking, and afterwards you might be talking to me, and I'll be listening. You know, And we have the ability to fellowship and worship God and communicate with God. That's the image of God. He has made us like Him, a personal being with those attributes. And they're not limited to that, but that gets us started in the right direction. The word likeness adds the word resemble. I think it's very interesting. It's not simply a synonym, even though it's very close. I believe the next part that's found in Genesis chapter 1 will describe that because it says that it's according to his likeness. Yes, it strengthens the whole concept of image, but it points to a comparison with God. Now think this through. God is eternal God, and he has the right to rule and reign Everything and anything, especially the things he's created. And immediately following that, he says, Oh, and by the way, human beings, you're in my image, and you're according to my likeness, and I want you to rule over every moving thing on this earth. I want you to do it. I want you to govern it on my behalf. And I believe when you put that all together, it 
spells out what it's talking about, not only inwardly, the personal part of it, but also what does it look like to act like God? God is a ruler. He is the eternal king. Has the right to rule and reign. And he says, and I'm going to give you the ability to do that. Didn't do that to animals or plants or even angels. Gave it to us. We alone are in the image and likeness of God. The verse before us, it says, then the Lord God formed. And it's the only time the word formed is used in the creation uh, story is of man. And notice what it says. He formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The word formed is the word that we would use of a potter who takes a lump of clay that's unformed, puts it on the potter's wheel and begins to turn it into something usable and appealing, aesthetically pleasing. That's what God says that he has done. The life came from him. And notice what it says. He took the dust and he also took one other thing. The breath of life. And man became a living being. You cannot, and I'll get back to this um, here in a moment, but you cannot separate us. um, In fact, I might as well do it right now and, and get it over with. You cannot separate who we are as a material body from who we are as a spiritual entity also. The material and the immaterial, you cannot effectively separate them. You go, hold it a second, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. I agree with you. But you know what? Think about this, and I never thought about it until I preached this sermon, and it was just yesterday, or the day before, when it finally hit me. You know what? That whole concept of death, which I absolutely teach and believe, is only ever temporary. Think about that. When you die, it's the body without the spirit is dead. The immaterial part leaves. We have a funeral. But guess what? It doesn't stay that way. It's temporary. Because all people will ultimately have a body. Some in the eternal lake of fire will have a body that never burns up, but will suffer agony for all eternity. And others will have a glorified body in the presence of God that will never suffer anything negative, but always be in the bliss and the beauty that comes from being in God's presence. That's temporary. You see, you can't separate Who we are as human beings. We're human beings. And being a human being has the immaterial and the material. Both of them go together. And only ever are they temporarily separated. Here when he started, he put the material, the dust, and the breath of life. He puts them together and says, oh, man became a living being. If you have King James Version, I believe it says a living soul. Became a unity. It's physical and non-physical. But if we go on, we need to determine if we're going to have an opinion about when is something an abortion? What is okay? What is morally right in God's eyes? We need to decide when life begins. Now, we know that God gave all life. 
He made that very clear. He said he formed it. He breathed into uh, that form that he had made and it became a living soul. What about the next generation, the next generation and your generation? What about that? If you look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, there's some interesting things. First of all, as I already mentioned, this is not poetry. This is God speaking directly to the prophet. And he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let's go a little backwards here. The word know is not just simply know about. It is a word that is a very intimate, personal word. It is the exact same word that is used of a husband and wife in the Bible where he says the husband knew his wife and they had children. You get the hint. It's intimate knowledge of the person. Very, very close. It's able to distinguish. It confirms that he knew them in a very, he knew Jeremiah in a very personal, close way. And it says, before I formed you. Now, I already looked at that word formed, and we're going to look at it again. And uh, we'll look at it um, one more time when we look at uh, Psalm 139. But that whole concept of form says, I took something that was not a whole. It wasn't really anything that you look at and say, oh, hey, this is beautiful, it's usable, or anything like that. It says, before I formed you, In the womb, I knew you. Notice the personal pronouns. God is saying before there was any form to that fertilized egg, because he's treating him as a person. Before there was even one split, even one cell division, he is is describing him as a person. He says, before you were born, I consecrated you. That's before you could hold them in your arms. He said, I already had set you apart. But he says, even before I formed you, I knew you. Many times we go to Psalm 139, and I'm going to do that for a moment, because there's a word used in verse 16 that is only used one time in the Bible. Those are the toughest for anybody that's preaching or teaching. Because usually we can do a word study and say, okay, this is how God used it in other places. This one here, you cannot do that. The word is translated unformed substance of some sort in every Bible version. But what does it mean? It kind of means something folded together, put together. Be like if I took this piece of paper and I just folded it together, you know, and, and made it. It's not exactly usable for much of anything except maybe to throw at someone. But that's not the purpose of paper. The point is, it is a word that uh, some have said it means to roll together like you would roll together a ball. And when the Greeks translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, they used a word that simply meant any unformed mass, any raw material that would be used to make something else. So now we're back to that forming, and here it's saying, and and by the way, when I was working with the raw material, the ball of clay on the potter's wheel, then I formed it. I became an artist. Well, guess what? I'm not a singer. I'm not an artist. I'm none of those things. But I have been known to do things like this, 
If you knew me about uh, eight years ago, we started the garden tractor pull ministry. It was a pain in the neck trying to find someone with a sled that we could use. And I decided I would design and build a weight transfer sled so we could have a ministry here and I'd have my own sled. I went to the junkyard. Now, if you would have been in my driveway, Dave Lamb is shaking his head. He saw this stuff. If you would have been in my driveway when I came home, I had a trailer full of about a 1,000 pounds of scrap steel. It had channel iron. It had diamond plate. It had chains. It had sprockets. It had an oil tank. It had an air tank. It had some other assorted things. It was all kind of bearings. It had all kinds of stuff. And it was one big heap. If you would have looked at it, you would have said, that's scrap. By the way, you would have been right. I got it out of a junkyard. I spent the whole winter with my hacksaw and my cutter and my torch and my welder and a whole bunch of drills and bolts and you name all kinds of other things. And it came out being something that actually works for the last eight years. Praise the Lord, it doesn't break normally. You know what? It was an unformed mass that was formed. And, and that's kind of it. You go, that's not a sled, that's a bunch of junk. It, it, it has no shape to it. But God took our unformed substance before he knew us. Be, be, before we had been formed, God already knew us. That's the concept. That same concept is found other places in Scripture also. But for today, we'll look at that one. But the one in Psalms doesn't stop with unformed substance. It goes on to say this, And in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained, ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Hmm. Interesting. He is recognizing the person when one day hadn't gone by. You see, God, science, medicine, doesn't have another time when you can go and you can pinpoint and say, this is when life started. The only time that I can find, and I think the only time that is consistent with everything we know, is that life starts at the moment of conception. Science can't prove a different time. Medicine doesn't have a different time. Oh, there are philosophies that give different times. There are whole societies that say, we won't name our children until they're so many days old because they really aren't human yet. There are some that say it's not human until it's implanted or until it's so many days or so many cell divisions. Or There's all kinds of things. But every one of them is arbitrary. I propose to you the only one that is consistent is the one that says it was at conception, fertilization. I need to move on or I'm going to run out of time. Uh, we have the image of God and the image of Adam. And this is something that I'm going to do quickly. But you already know what it says in Genesis chapter 1. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter 5 goes back and recounts what had happened since the beginning. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man and made him in the likeness of God. Nothing new there at all. But just remember, this is now written after sin came into the world. But look at what verse 3 says. 
When Adam had lived 130 years and became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Notice the difference. Doesn't say the image of God here. This is the image of Adam. What's the image of Adam? How's that different than the image of God? The image of God is something that's perfect, pure. The image of Adam, now Adam is a sinful person. This is simply saying, and we have other places in the Bible, and I don't have time to get into them, where it simply says that the sin nature is passed to the next generation. Adam said, my son is now in my image and my likeness. Take all that image and likeness stuff that we talked about, put it in here. With sin added. Adam says, this is what happened. By the way, there is no time biblically where the sin nature is added to a human being. Other than at the moment of conception. Again, it comes back to there's only one place where you can pinpoint it to. Other things, for example, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He says, sin's there. The sin nature is passed down. Now, there are theories in theology that says sin nature is added some other time. The only one that's consistent with Scripture is the sin nature is passed down, by the way, by the male. If you don't believe that, look at the Christmas story. Jesus Christ did not have a sin nature, but he had a human nature, didn't have a sin nature because he did not have a human father. And uh, there are other things in the Bible that go in that direction. We're not going to take time for that. But one last thing, because you go, hold it a second. Are you telling me the image of God is gone? The answer is no, it is not. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is after the flood. God has judged the whole world. And he is now giving instruction to mankind after the flood so that the same thing doesn't happen again. We would call this the beginning of human government, rudimentary as it is. It says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Capital punishment, death penalty, it's based on one thing. One concept, that man still has the image of God. Because if that's not true, this makes no sense. So... The truth of the matter is we have two images, one given us by God and one passed on to us by our parents. That image is not added some other time, but is something that we get from the moment of conception. Christ's incarnation is something, and I have to tell you, this is new to me. So if I don't make sense, by all means, ask me questions, because I've never thought this through before. But I've spent a bunch of hours looking at it. Uh, Every time I look at this subject, it just gets deeper and deeper. Like I said, I had 44 pages of notes, um, and I had to cut them down really big. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, and these are passages that are familiar to all of us. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Everybody knows that's part of the Christmas story. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, it's talking about conception, and this is different than any other human conception because the Father is God. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work. It's the power of God. But it says the end result is a Holy Child, the Son of God. It's the incarnation. There is no other concept of the incarnation except 
and maybe you never thought this through, and I'm still trying to get my head around this, is the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, at one time was an embryo. And you know what? If he wasn't, then there was a time when Jesus was simply human. Or there was a time when he was simply God. And that is not the concept presented anywhere in Scripture. In fact, is those concepts have been explored thousand, several thousand years, or a couple thousand years ago and rejected because Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. For that to be true, at the moment of conception, both have to be true. There was not a time when there was Jesus without deity or deity without well, there was deity without Jesus, but after that, after the Mary was pregnant. But I found one more verse that we don't normally look at. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, And when eight days had passed, this is after Jesus' birth, before his circumcision, his name was called Jesus. The name was the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Notice the personal pronoun. He was conceived. He's either the God-man and he comes as the God-man and not, well, he's God here and less God here or more man here and less man here. He's the God-man. Every theology I know, everything I know from the Bible says he is one package deal. He's everything or nothing. He's either what the Bible presents him as or he's nothing of what the Bible presents. But he was conceived, the God-man. I believe it backs up the whole thing that we've talked about. All human life, and we've looked at this verse before, but all human life is superintended by God. We already looked at creation. We'll look at that again when we go through the book of um, the book of uh, Genesis. But again... Look at what it says in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you. I'm not saying that the embryo is not self-directed. But God says, I'm there. I'm the one that controls the process. I formed you. And it, it goes on to say in Psalm 139 verse 13. It says, thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. You say, well, that's poetry. All I'm pointing out is this. This is not when life begins. This points out that all life is superintended by God. From the very beginning. He's the one that was the one that formed him from the dust and breathed in. And you know what? All new life, every new generation is exactly that. He goes on to say in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made. Same word that is used in creation. It also says and ends with this at the end of verse 15, And skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. It's the whole idea of somebody that's skillfully embroidering a cloth to make it look beautiful. God says, I take credit for life from the very beginning. All life is sacred. And I'm going to do this really quickly. This is a whole sermon in itself. This is not specifically about when life begins. But this is God's view 
why I have no problem using the word sanctity of human life. In the Old Testament, you know the law. The law said if you premeditatedly, willfully take someone's life, you're going to forfeit your own life. It's called capital punishment, the life sentence. Capital punishment. Except one situation. It says even if you are fighting with another guy, and in that fight you push over, punch over, hurt in some way a pregnant lady... And there's injury, you pay for that. And by the way, you didn't try to kill her or her baby. But if either one of them dies, you're dead. Capital punishment. Go back. I don't have it all written here. Go back and look at it. There's no other way you can read it. There's an exception. God says a pregnant lady and the baby inside of her are special. I have special rules for them that aren't true of every other part of life. If there's an injury, same thing happens to you. Whether it's the mother or the baby, both of them are treated with equal value and they're treated as sacred, precious, above and beyond normal life. I have to tell you, that's a pretty serious statement. I'm not sure how to apply that to every circumstance in our life. What happens in a traffic accident, for example. But I think I do know how to, I think I do know how to apply that to a lady in Texas. You think about it. I think you might come to the same conclusion I have. Because I believe we have a compelling reason to protect the life of that baby. I know abortions have always happened. Life of the mother. See, Edward Coop, way, way back, made a statement I'll never forget. I I knew very little about abortion. He said, we never simply take the life of the mother to save a baby or the other way around. He said, we always strive to save both. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes one will die and the other will live. But we always try to save both. And if not, we try to save at least one of them. And that's the whole concept. Life is sacred. We need to go out of our way to make sure that we treat life the way God treats it. And he has a special place in his law for that baby, for that pregnant mother. One last one, and I'm going to do this real quick. Because... This is the problem. The morning after pill. By the way, there's new evidence. I have pages and pages of it. Uh, I've taught this before, and uh, it's still Plan B. Uh, step one, um, uh, Plan B, one step, still has this on their website. If it was not somewhere true, they would have done everything but give their life, I guess, to get that off of there because it's causing controversy. People are saying, morning after pill causes abortions. It keeps the embryo from implanting. And they say, well, new research says no. And, and by the way, they're right about that. It doesn't, many times it delays ovulation, so there is no conception. I agree with that. No problem with that. Except that even the... Drug company itself says it's up to 90% effective. For that to happen, for reality, there's still another mechanism, and that also does that. So, you know what? 
I'm going to tell you the new research says, yeah, it basically stops conception. But the possibility is still there. I have only one thing to tell you. I do not have a final personal conclusion on this one, except for this. When you deal with life, if you have just seen what God has said about life, and that it's sacred, that it's important to God, it's valuable, then if there's doubt, you have to err on the side of caution. That's my conclusion today. I may, next time I teach on this, I may have a different conclusion because they've proven that it only does one of these. At this point, the evidence is not conclusive. So I can't go there. I could not recommend that. But here's my concern, folks. I'm going to tell you straight out. I just looked this up, CDC. Today in the United States, over 40% of the babies are conceived and born out of wedlock. See, this abortion, I mean, this morning after thing is not so much about couples who are married and, you know, they just decided... And want to make sure we don't have a child. But it's about immorality. Let's face it. Most abortions are convenience. It's simply, I don't want the baby. This fits that category. I have to tell you, my opinion is, if I don't know, and it's dealing with something that God says is sacred, I have to error. And I can't say that name. I go, is it error or error? Whichever it is, you're, you go to the side of caution. That's Quit trying to use a word you can't speak, Paul. Okay. Thing is, we need to understand. By the way, when you read, I challenge you, do the research. Most of you have computer access. You can research all this stuff. You don't need me to tell you, but be careful. And I'm going to do one more thing before I close. There are a couple of things that you need to understand. Because who defines the words decides what it sounds like. Nobody disagrees. Contraception simply provides sperm and egg from coming together. Okay? No moral biblical issues with that at all. Catholic Church does. I don't. The Bible, I can't find that anywhere. Contragestion. This is the one where the problem comes. Is many times a pregnancy is defined as implantation. And so, if it's not implanted in the uterus, it's not really an abortion. I disagree with that. I believe life begins at conception. No other practical, medical, scientific, or biblical place that I can find. Okay? So, anything that prevents implantation, they would just call that contragestion. I believe it's simply an early abortion. Abortion, nobody disagrees with. It is destroying an egg, uh, an embryo once it's implanted. Nobody would disagree with that definition. The point is, look at the definitions when you do research on your own, when you come to conclusions. Make sure you know what your definitions are. Make sure you know in a conversation with somebody what you're talking about, or you can be talking right past each other. I'm not going to tell you this is an easy subject. If it were, everybody probably agree on it. I do believe you can come to conclusions. I believe you can have a clear conscience. I believe you can have a consistent biblical ethic of life. 
still working on a few things yet. I won't tell you I'm not. But I believe what I've told you represents a biblical point of view. I challenge you to check it out. You want my notes? I'll send you all mine. I'll send you all 44 pages if you want them. Uh, But I believe we need, if God says this is important and life is sacred, we need to know. You need to know. And you need to be able to express yourself, not just here in church, not just in your own mind, but I believe, as I started this sermon, in the public square. Because if life isn't important, I could care what rules they pass and what laws we pass and who we defend and who... I I don't care because life's not important. It doesn't really matter. I don't believe that for a second. Life is sacred. God said it is. That's all it takes for me. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know we've covered a lot of territory, covered a lot of concepts. But Lord, I know that you're not silent when something's important. You said you made us, created us in your image. And Lord, you take a special interest in us. And I know you take a special interest. And human beings are different than everything else in this world. Because you did not send Christ to die on a cross for endangered animals or species of any sort. Or die for angels. You sent Jesus Christ to die for human beings. Lord, we are valuable because you've made us valuable. And you've remade us valuable by sending your son who gave his life on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we would see life the way you see it and the way Jesus Christ has portrayed it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.